Father God, as we cry out to you for our world, for our nation, for our city, for our families and friends, neighbours and colleagues, and for ourselves and each other, we pray now that you would show us Jesus, who we need most of all in this season, so that we might come to him and trust in him, live for him, and share him with the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you will no doubt be aware, this week we reached the sad milestone of 100,000 people dying from COVID in this country. How are we to react to that, particularly as Christians? There's a, there's a right and proper sense that every death is tragic, every death matters. Uh, it's interesting, it, in, in reporting that statistic, that the media and the government didn't particularly put it in the context of how many people actually die in the course of a normal year, which is about 600,000 generally. And of course, the ultimate statistic that we all have to reckon with, which is that the death rate in the population as a whole, in the end, is of course one in one, 100%. Now, it remains true that every death matters. If death is preventable, we should take all reasonable action to prevent it. And yet again, what we will definitely not hear from uh, the media or from the government is any attempt to speak directly into how a human being can face that ultimate and inevitable statistic of death that comes to everyone in the end. We won't hear any attempt to give hope in the face of death. And actually, if, if there's little attempt to give hope in the face of death, there is also, when you think about it, little attempt to think seriously about what life is actually about, what life is for, what our purpose is, what we're trying to do when we try and survive the pandemic. Why? What, what, what do we want to achieve? We just sort of take those questions for granted in our public discourse. And maybe that's because without reference to the God who made us, well, the, the purpose of life and hope in the face of death are, are kind of unanswerable questions. Where do you go? What do you say? But in Jesus Christ, we have real hope and meaning and purpose to cling to for ourselves and to share with the world around us. Now, in this Growing in Faith series, uh, we've been focusing at the beginning of this new year on how to keep that faith in Jesus Christ at the centre of our lives in the midst of all the craziness that is going on at the moment. And we've looked at how growing in faith pleases God, how we relate to others, how we keep going through suffering. And now, as we think about that 100,000 figure, and we think about the lack of hope and the lack of meaning and purpose in our world around us, we're thinking today now about sharing this faith in Jesus with others. And we're using another of Paul's prayers that he prays in these letters in the New Testament. But we start with Paul, as you heard in, in the reading, he, he's suffering in prison. 
He's in chains. He says at the end of verse 3 in this translation, has he committed a crime? Has he done something wrong? No, he's there simply because the authorities don't want him preaching openly about Jesus. And what we see then here, as Paul writes in this context, is one clear priority from Paul, and then three implications that follow from that. So here, as you can see on the screen, here's the priority as Paul sits in prison, proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Now, we'll think what he means by that word mystery in a moment, because it's a slightly funny word, but I, I know for myself that this priority that Paul has is a rather different priority, I think, from what I might be hoping for and longing for and praying for were I in that situation that Paul is in here. So what does he say? Look at the, verse 2. He says, please pray, pray, devote yourselves to prayer. And then verse 3, pray for us too, that God would open a door. Now, in my case, I think probably that is where my prayer would end. I don't know about you. Lord, I'm in prison, it's not fair, shouldn't be here, please open the door. And, and, you know, he could justifiably argue that. What good is it for God's servant, his great apostle, to be stuck there in the prison cell? Surely no good can come from this. Please, God, let me out of here. And maybe we've been praying prayers like that in the current circumstances. Please, Lord, make this stop. Get me out of this. What good can come from this? Now, prayers like that, whether in prison or in a pandemic, are completely understandable, and they have their place. But that is not what Paul prays here, is it? He says, pray, it says, pray that God would open a door for our message. That's the message of him and the apostles. What, what is that message, Paul? He says, it's the mystery of Christ that I long to proclaim. And, and what effect then, Paul, is this having this mystery of Christ that you long to proclaim? Oh, it's landed me in chains. It's landed me in prison. Do you see that at the end of verse 3? I'm in prison because of this message. So, please pray for me, not first to get me out of here, but to have opportunities to keep proclaiming this message. Think of the book of Acts, where... The jailer in Philippi ends up coming to faith precisely because Paul continued to proclaim this message even in prison. That is what he's longing for as he writes. Now, I think there's, there's so much here to reflect on in these present tough times because this says to us there is something even more important and even more serious than the current restrictions and problems that we face. You know, maybe, maybe we're concerned and we're anxious and we're thinking people aren't taking the rules and the restrictions seriously enough. Or maybe it's more the other way and we're thinking, oh, goodness me, the world has gone crazy and this lockdown is, is just way over the top. Now, I know people in both those camps and I'm sure you do too. But in one sense, you see, both of those kind of extremes are like being in chains. Both of them are, because both, both ends, those kind of extremes, they cause fear and anxiety to grip us and control us in different ways. But Paul says, while well, he's in chains, one thing matters. 
and that is proclaiming Christ. So to the person who just can't see beyond the seriousness of the pandemic, the implication is, no, actually, look, there's something even worse, which, you know, the media and the government won't really talk about. There is the ultimate statistic, one in one die. And we need an answer to that. We don't just need a vaccine or whatever. And in Christ, we have that. We have an answer to that ultimate statistic. So make it your priority to proclaim Christ. But you see, then at the other end of the spectrum, to the person who thinks, yeah, look, the government have gone way over the top and it's all getting too much and this response is crazy. Well, Paul's experience here says to us, look, just remember, believers around the world and through history sometimes have it way worse than this. You know, if we think it's bad to have to wear a face covering or, or to, to not be able to talk to people when we meet, or, or even if we have to stop meeting together altogether for a period, as we've had to do over the last year. Well, you know, if we think these things are bad, and they're not great, but if we think they're really bad, we'll try and say that with a straight face to a believer in North Korea or Saudi Arabia or Iran. And they'll tell you what it looks like when the government really restricts your freedom, as indeed was the case for Paul as he writes here. But even then, when it gets as bad as that, what is Paul's priority? Proclaiming Christ. And he says proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Did that word surprise you or, or, or confuse you? Well, you see, the Colossians were obsessed with kind of hidden knowledge about God. You know, knowledge that was only really open to a select few. You know, there was the normal knowledge about God, which, which lots of people had, but then there was the kind of secret knowledge that you had to go out and look for and find. And <clears throat> so he, you know, in other words, God could not be freely known through Jesus. You needed to have the secret knowledge, the mystery. Now, in, in later centuries, this kind of thing became known as Gnosticism. And through the whole letter, Paul has been saying, if you've got Jesus and you're trusting him, then you've got all you need. There is no mystery in that sense. So chapter 1, verse 27, it's a mystery that's been made known. So you just need to stick with him. So what's he doing by using this kind of word? He's using it precisely to undermine their whole way of thinking about how we know God. Because what's he saying? Not, you know, there is this secret knowledge known only to a few and God is distant and remote and good luck finding him. No, it's the opposite. The mystery is something to be proclaimed and shouted from the rooftops. There is a God and you can know him through Jesus Christ. He did die and he did rise, just as we heard David testify to earlier. And that gospel message is the same gospel message that we need to stick with and proclaim, to, uh, proclaim today. You know, in an age of conspiracy theories, and the world is full of them, isn't it? You, you go out on the internet and you'll find all kinds of things. We need to hear this, don't we? You see, Paul's message is not, well, here's a hidden secret that only a few people know about and that everyone else has been conspiring to keep hidden from you. No, no, here is Jesus who has publicly lived and died and risen. There's no secrets here. You can go and, you, you, the eyewitnesses were there, they'll tell you about it. All you need to do is trust in him. 
See, the, the big problem that we face in this world is not actually corrupt governments or mainstream media or big pharma or whatever. It, it's not people's unwillingness to keep the rules. The big problem is sin and death and the judgment that we deserve because of that. And the solution is Jesus Christ. So you don't need a, a, an opinion on all the other stuff. You don't need the one website which has found the answers that everyone else has missed. What we need is Jesus. That is what Paul is showing us here. As he says, look, this is the one thing that matters. As I suffer unjustly in this way, I want to proclaim Christ. Stick with him, proclaim him. So with that clear priority in mind, we can then see three implications of it that Paul gives us here. Here's the first one. Pray. So we put that on screen. Pray. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Why do we need to pray? Because from the outset, we need to acknowledge that when we proclaim Christ, when we talk to people about Jesus, we are doing something that will never have any effect at all unless God opens the door for the message. If you're in prison, well, the only way you'll get out of the cell is if the door opens, whether it's unlocked by the jailer with the, with the key, or whether there's a miracle in the middle of the night and the walls shake and the doors unlock themselves. You know, think Acts chapter 12. There is no other way out otherwise, though. And it's the same, you see, with the message about Jesus. But there is no human who can unlock the human heart. Only God can do that. Only he can open the door. So what do we have to do? We have to pray. And the thing is, actually, when we realise that, that is massively liberating and freeing because it allows us to leave the results of our efforts to tell people about Jesus, to just put it in God's hands and realise this isn't all down to me, it's with him, so I trust him. See, if it's all on my shoulders, whether my friends and my family come to faith in Jesus, well, I'm not going to be able to cope with that. But if it's on God's shoulders, no, I can pray. I must pray, but I don't need to fret. And when my friend or my child or my spouse, who I've been praying for for years and years and years, and, and, and they don't seem to respond, well, don't stop praying but in praying, as we pray, we are saying, Lord, this is not in my hands. This is in your hands, not mine. And I, and I just need to depend on you. So we pray, but we pray also for doors to open in the first place, for opportunities, as Paul does here, for a chance to speak about Jesus today. Maybe there's something that uh, you, you could consider with, as we reflect on this growing in faith and as we think about the, the ways that we want to grow, maybe that's something we can do, to pray regularly and deliberately for doors to open with people so we can share something of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. You know, I, I often pray for individuals, but I know for myself it would be good to pray more deliberately, simply, for these unexpected opportunities that I could never predict to share my faith with individuals. Even in a time of COVID with limited contacts, there will be times when we come into contact with people in shops, on the phone, in the street with neighbours as we share the strangeness of these times, pray for an opportunity to share the hope that we have. 
So pray, pray, pray like Paul. Not just, you know, Lord, get me out of this horrible time, but Lord, in this horrible time, give me opportunities to speak of you. And then, then when we've done that, you see, we, we can relax and be watchful, verse 2. Watch for those doors to open and be thankful then when they do. William Cooper put it like this. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So we pray. That is the first thing. Then secondly, second implication here from verse 5 is live. So verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See, as well as praying for opportunities and asking doors to open, we can live in such a way that people ask questions. Well, how, how, how might we do that? Is, you know, there'll be all kinds of ways. I guess, you know, maybe, maybe someone at school, you know, people might notice something random like, you know, when you're out of hearing of the adults, unlike many others, not every other word that you speak is a swear word. And, you know, is, is that just because you're a prude? No, it's because I want to follow Jesus who died for me. And so people start to notice, look, this person lives differently. They do life differently. What's going on with that? And it makes people ask questions. We've had to think about this issue of our reputation with outsiders in the context of COVID. We know we have to think about that as individuals in the way that we respond to things. You know, what does my willingness to abide by the things that the government asks us to do and, and the law, uh, what does that imply to others? What does our willingness as a church to abide by those same regulations say? Now, I'm, I'm not commending breaking the law at all, just to be clear, but I think it's interesting that nevertheless it depends on which outsiders you are talking about when you ask a question like that. You see, there, there are some in the wider world who a few weeks ago thought, you know, churches should definitely close, even though it's, it's totally legal to remain open safely. <clears throat> so what about our reputation with outsiders? That is a question we need to ask, isn't it? It's an important question. But it's worth pointing out that for every non-Christian who decides to take offence that Christians are still choosing to meet, we have very careful measures in place. Well, actually, there are other non-Christians who think... Do these Christians really believe anything at all if they won't share that with the world and they won't show that they think it matters at this time of all times? See, if our, if our message is only you've got to keep the rules and never there is a God you can know through Jesus and through his death and resurrection there is real hope in the face of death, even death from such a horrible thing as COVID, if we never get to say that, there'll be a load of other non-Christians who conclude, well, you know, they, they never really believed it in the first place, did they? Now, it's a delicate line, isn't it? And I'm not, for a moment, advocating breaking the law, and I'm not advocating Christians meeting against medical advice, whether personally or corporately. I think we need to take that advice seriously, as we, you know, we clearly are as we meet now. But it's worth thinking through how our actions come across to others and what that then says about what we believe. That is what Paul is saying here. Be wise. Show where our hope is through how we live. So live and then finally speak. 
So verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace means full of the gospel. Do you know that thing where we compartmentalise our lives and then also our speech? So, you know, with, with, with work colleagues and, and, you know, maybe with school friends, we, you know, we talk exclusively about work concerns and sports and fishing or cycling or kids at school or whatever it is. And, and then with Christian friends, we talk about Jesus and our faith and the difference it makes in our lives. And, and Paul is just is saying, look, great, talk about all those things, but put them all in the same box. A guy called Graham Daniels, who works with Christians in sport, talks about how he always asks people, what did you do at the weekend? Because he knows that eventually it is just polite in, in English conversation for them to eventually ask you back what you did at the weekend. You will get there eventually. And, and that gives him the opportunity to say, well, you know, I, I, didn't, it's not, I didn't just play football on Saturday or whatever. I went to church on Sunday and I heard this great talk about Jesus. Now, you know, maybe we can't just can't quite imagine doing that kind of thing with people. And it sounds beyond what we're capable of. Well, what would Paul say? I think he'd say pray, wouldn't he? Pray for God to open the door to make those conversations possible. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. That means let it be distinctive, which it will be if we're willing to share what our faith means to us in our lives. Now, of course, our interactions with others are even more limited than ever at the moment. And so it's even more reason to pray for those unexpected opportunities and to speak openly, isn't it? Let me share with you one very practical opportunity for us all as a whole church to put this into action. Because today, the 31st of January, the law changes to allow Hong Kong British national overseas passport holders to emigrate legally to the UK. You might have seen this being reported in the news. It is estimated that 130,000 will do exactly that in the coming year. And, uh, you know, maybe not today and maybe not this week with all the travel restrictions, but the the understanding is that 130,000 people are likely to come this year and up to 300,000 are going to come in maybe the next three or four years. That that is a huge number of people. It's the biggest immigration event, as it's called, since Windrush in in 1948 and the couple of decades following when UK borders opened to Commonwealth citizens from the Caribbean. Now, sadly, we think back to that in in the sort of history of the wider UK church, actually the church sometimes got that very, very wrong, tragically, in their response to people moving into the country and... People weren't made welcome uh, in the sort of white churches. Now, we hope and pray much has changed since then. But 130,000 Hong Kong citizens moving to the UK in a year is a huge number. It's more than the number of people who have tragically died of COVID, isn't it? It's more than that. And there will no doubt be many in North London, some even in Hampstead and nearby. And there is a network growing through the country of what are called Hong Kong-ready churches that are kind of identifying themselves and saying, we we are going to do our best to welcome these people who are going to come to a new culture and a new country and be 
they'll have many will have some language because of the, 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 what they're taught in Hong Kong and that they will be able to, to read and write and may struggle more with speaking, but they'll need to be welcomed to understand uh, English culture and uh, British culture and indeed many may be looking for churches and for spiritual help. So we want to be ready for that and there, there is this network that is coming together to, to make that happen. Now, we are already a wonderfully international church family. And it would be wonderful, therefore, to be part of that welcome for people. So let, let's be praying as more details of that, what that looks like, become clear, because this is quite a new initiative that has been put together. But do talk to me and get in touch with me if you, if you, if you think, actually, that is something I would love to be involved with in whatever way it takes. If, you, if, if that's you, I'd love to hear from you so that we can start to put something together. But as we reflect on all these numbers, you know, the priority of speaking about Jesus and hope in him, as we finish, let me just read a quote written a number of years ago by the Atheist Times columnist Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris, he, he, he wrote this column commenting on uh, how he doesn't quite understand why Christians don't talk more about Jesus. He says this, if I believed what Christians believe, I would drop my job, sell my house, throw, my, throw away my possessions, leave my acquaintances, and set out into the world with a burning desire to know more. And when I'd found out more, to act upon it and to tell others. I'm unable to understand how anyone who believes what's written in the Bible could choose to spend their working hours in any other endeavor. Now, that is a challenge, isn't it, from an atheist who obviously has some fundamental issues of misunderstanding with what it is that Christians actually believe, but recognizes that in one sense, if it is true that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, it changes everything, and the world needs to hear about it. So let's pray in the light of that now. Father, we know that so many things crowd into our hearts to take the place of that one priority that matters, that we believe and speak of Jesus. And in the light of all the, the pain and the difficulty and the things that we find so hard at the moment, Please would you refresh our hearts with a new sense of what it means to know Jesus. Would we know you better and better? And then would we be able to share that good news with the world around us? We think of our opportunities at work whether we're working in workplaces, in hospitals and schools, in, uh, at the moment, whether we are restricted to working from home and struggling with all the technology and 
that happens with that and our interactions with people are very strange and different. We pray that you would open doors for the message about Jesus, that we would be praying intentionally for individuals that we're in touch with, that we had come into contact with. May we pray, may we live in a way that makes them ask questions. May we speak in a way that makes our conversation full of the gospel because we believe and trust in this Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.